Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Good to see all of you. How many of you went out to Bloom Fiesta Park today? A few of you all. Awesome. Great. Well, uh, it's my one of my favorite events because it sort of typifies my group of people who are known for being full of hot air, um, people that talk out loud. Anyway, so we're, we're in a series titled Binge Worthy. And during this whole pandemic, there have been a lot of binge watching, more than many of us would ever want to admit. But it's my belief and our belief as a staff that the Bible is very, very binge-worthy. It's something that at many times we view as a chore, which it should never be a chore. It's not just an, it's some type of obligation, but it's full of these really wonderful stories. Our current part of our binge series is Kings and Queens, and so we talked about King Solomon recently, and now we're going to talk about a gal by the name of Esther. It's the book, one of the books in the Bible, and her name means star, so she was actually a real star. Now, the historical setting is really important because it came a hundred years after the Babylonian captivity. It's, if you don't know when the Babylonian captivity was, that was when the raiders came in and they took all of the, the Babyloni out of the, the kingdom. As I'm thinking about that, that's really bad baloney right there. <clears throat> but anyway, so here's, here's the issue. The Jewish folks were captured by the Babylonian Empire and taken into Babylon. Well, the Babylonian Empire was taken over by the Medes and the Persians. And so the Persian Empire, by the time this book is written, which is 100 years after that, the Persian Empire was huge. And King Xerxes was going to throw a party for his people. And so many of the Jews went back to Jerusalem and resettled Judea. But some of them stayed. And this is a story about many of those people who stayed in a foreign land, okay, and were prospering in that land. But something unique happened, and God was going to show his glory. Now, what's interesting about this, this book is known uh, to many people as a book that talks about God's sovereignty. It really shows God's sovereignty. What I mean by that is that God is working continually behind the scenes, even though we may not recognize it at the time. Being able to see the front from the end, the beginning from the end, we find that God is working in this book. However, what's unique about this book is that God's name is never mentioned. Even though God's name is not mentioned, God's presence certainly is seen and observable. So here we go. King Xerxes, he says, look, I'm great. I'm awesome. And I want everyone to know how awesome I am. So I'm going to throw myself a party for six months, all throughout the kingdom for six months. 
And so there's this guy, as you read through this book, you'll find that there's a lot of heavy drinking going on here. And the king continually makes bad decisions. And the, I think the two kind of mix together, never make really important decisions when you're partying. Anyway, so, so what happens is <clears throat> after this great party, he wants to thank all of the people who helped out. So he throws another party. And he's living it up pretty good. And he says, bring my wife. Bring my wife out in front of everybody and parade her around so that everyone can see how beautiful my wife is. Guys, learn from Xerxes. This is always a bad idea. Even if you believe your wife is really beautiful and worth other people uh, noticing, never do that whatsoever. It's a super disrespectful thing. And that's what Queen Vashti thought. And she said, all right, no, I'm not going to do it. Well, you know, he's like, what? My wife won't come out. And some of it, you know, the, his lackeys are like, well, you know, boss, uh, if uh, she doesn't come out, you know, people are going to disrespect you. And then all of our, our wives are going to disrespect us. You need to do something. So they came up with a plan, which was basically uh, banish her. Okay. So banish her away and she probably doesn't care she's banished away but then he makes a declaration if you wondered where this attitude that a man is king of his castle it's right here you get it from Xerxes because he made a, a de declaration throughout the land that a man should be in control of his home he should be honored in his home so a king decreed that anyway so you wonder where it's come from this is where it comes from Anyway, so that's King Xerxes. Now he has no wife. So enter a new person. Her name is Esther. And Esther is Jewish, but it isn't known publicly that she's Jewish. And so they have a beauty contest. Here she is. Mrs. Per, oh wait, Miss Persia. I, I missed the song up. Anyway, so she becomes the most beautiful in the land, and she becomes the queen of Persia. She has an uncle by the name of Mordecai, okay? Mordecai was a very popular name some time ago, but you don't really hear kids named Mordecai that, that often anymore. So Mordecai was her uncle because she had lost her parents. He had adopted her. And Mordecai had heard a couple of guards who were out in the, in the area near the, near the uh, palace. He heard that they were planning to kill the king, an assassination attempt. So he told Esther, she told the king, and he had the guards killed. And Mordecai was blessed, okay? Mordecai was somebody that, you know, that you could look up to because the king had honored him. But there's another guy who's around, and his name is Haman. Haman was up to no good. Haman was always blaming some other person, which made him lame, man. Haman was lame, man. Okay, so he wanted to be someone of power and honor. 
And so he talked the king into it, and the, and the king said, sure, you know, I'll make you my viceroy. I'll make you second in command. And I'll even make it so that when you appear, people will have to bow down before you. And Haman was perfectly fine with this. And so Haman walks out one day, and there's Mordecai standing out by the gate. And Haman comes out, and everybody else bows down, but Mordecai just looks at him. I'm not bowing down to you. You say, well, what's the big deal? Well, Haman was an Agagite, which was Amalekites from Agai. And these guys were long enemies of the Hebrew people forever, leading all the way back to Genesis. And you would never find a guy like Mordecai bowing down to an Amalekite. Never. They were sworn enemies, period. And so Mordecai sees this, doesn't like it. I mean, Haman sees this, doesn't like it. And uh, so he goes and talks to the king. He says, well, you know, king, I've got a lot of money. And I think some of that money should go to the kingdom, into your coffers. But, you know, um, th there's a problem. I don't, I don't like these, these Jewish people living in Persia. They shouldn't be here. In fact... It would be good if you commanded that they all be killed. And so the king's like, okay, you're my buddy. You're going to give me a lot of money. Sure. Uh, whatever you think. And so he took what was known as a poor, a lot or a dice, and he threw it, and they would determine what month they would have this big event. So that's where we get the, the term Purim, and we'll talk more about that next week. So... An edict was sent out to everybody that on this certain day, in the, for this certain month, all the Jews can be attacked and murdered. And so Mordecai read it, and he's like, oh my goodness. This is terrible. This is what he says. Mordecai learned what had been done. He tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the city and wailed loudly and bitterly. He not he usually, but he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter. Okay, in every province which the edict and the order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Okay, imagine if you got a letter from the government that said, "Okay, people like you." We're going to have a special holiday, and we're going to murder you and all the people like you. Imagine getting that in the mail. It's bad enough to get your tax return, but, you know, this getting that in the mail. Imagine the terror that would be in your heart. That was in the heart of, of Mordecai. And imagine the shock, the despair that he would be experiencing, plus this. He was probably cognizant that he helped cause the whole deal because he was the guy that, you know, dissed Haman. He was the guy that dissed the Amalekite, the old Canaanite. He, he dissed him, and he's like, I brought this not only on myself, but I brought it on all of the people. And his life must have been filled with terror and the weight of all of his decisions and the weight of his activity was weighing heavily upon him. You see, all of us have experienced this to some degree at some point in time, right? 
you've experienced something that is shocking and brings fear into you, and you may have even caused the whole event yourself. But what he didn't know and what he will find out and what we find out in our life is that God, though we can't see him often, is working behind the scenes for something much greater, even in a time that would be considered as tumultuous. How many of you have really been blessed during the time of COVID? Like, it's like, oh, I wish I, it was COVID every year, right? It's the best time of year. It's been a time of blessing because we see God's hands moving, but it's nothing any of us would ask for. Amen? And a hallelujah. Okay, we wouldn't ask for that, right? But I love what John Newton said about these situations. John Newton, if you don't remember, was the guy who wrote Amazing Grace. And he wrote it about his experience with God because he was a slave trader and was convicted of the deep, deep sin in his life and what he had done against other human beings and experiencing God's grace. He says, listen, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, if you're always wondering, it was Popeye that came up with that? No, it was John Newton that came up with that. He says, this faith, a renouncing of everything we are apt to call our own and relying wholly upon the blood, the righteousness, and intercession of Jesus, period. God often takes a course of accomplishing his purposes directly contrary to our narrow views would describe. He brings a death upon our feelings, wishes, and prospects when he is about to give us the desires of our hearts. You see, people who are in sackcloth and ashes are demonstrating before God and their neighbors the torment of their soul. Look, you and I, if we could plan how things would work out, none of us would put into our order of life suffering. My family and I, we, we took a vacation. It was awesome. I know you want me to say that I missed you guys, but I, I, I really didn't. Uh, not at all. No, actually, I did. It's been a lot of fun. But one thing you do when you, you get ready to go on vacation or on a trip is you, you make a checklist, right? Things that you need to pack, things that you don't want to leave behind. But you never put on your checklist suffering. Oh, yeah. Did we plan a day for suffering? No, we must have missed that. Well, we've, we've got to at least have a half a day of suffering in there, right? None of us plan for that. That never averages into our life in our planning. But God averages that in in a way that brings something greater out, something greater in the land of Susa, the Persian kingdom, something greater in the life of Mordecai, and Esther, something greater in the life of the Jewish people who were still in exile away from Jerusalem. God, for you and I, for such a time like we're living in right now, has plans, <clears throat> yes, for even the suffering, <clears throat> for even the discomfort that we're going through. 
God's plans are greater than, and God's plans <clears throat> are more meaningful than all of it. Listen, Mordecai knew that there was an important relationship being built here. He understood that Esther had some kind of unique purpose in all of this. And because of that, he, he began to look at things a little different. Now, the people began to mourn and weep. The people began to worry about what was going to happen to them. And there was just sadness in every single direction. But our girl, Esther, is being brought to a decision, a decision that is much bigger than her. Because we're not really given any indication that those Jewish folks who had remained in Persia, in Susa, were living a very strict, you know, ordered life, ordered life, but that they were probably more assimilated into their culture, as was Esther, as was Mordecai. And so because of that, they begun to think that, you know, we're far away from our people, we're far away from the temple, and we're just here like everybody else. But let me just tell you something, folks. If you call the name of Jesus Christ, if you call the name of God, though you may, be feel, you may feel at home within the culture that you live, there is a heavenly culture, there is a culture that is designed by God that is in you and belongs to God and will continually call you to something bigger and greater and better. So she's thinking, well, what am I supposed to do? Mordecai goes, you know, you should go talk to the king. He's your husband. She goes, well, there's a law. You can't go in and talk to this guy. You can't just walk into a king's palace. I could be put to death for that. And, and, and I haven't been called to meet with him in his chamber for over 30 days. So what am I supposed to do? And so she had this question, you know, what do you expect me to do, Mordecai? You know, I've, I've become queen. This is unexpected. This is kind of a dream come true. It's great. Am I supposed to walk into the king and risk my own life? And by the way, who knows if I'll make a difference at all, right? Who knows if you'll make a difference at all? Who knows? I mean, we're just normal people, right? We're Berkey people. We just like to watch the Balloon Fiesta, go have a number nine at Golden Pride, go down and, you know, watch the isotopes and, you know, live our lives. But, what, but who are we? Who are we in the midst of a pandemic, you know? Well, let me just tell you something. We come from a stock of people that Jesus and the disciples who had a very unique and pointed view of the world. In Luke chapter 19, he said, For the Son of Man, Jesus speaking of himself, came to seek and to save that which was lost. And Matthew said, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Hebrews chapter 9 says, For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set us free from the sins committed under the first covenant. And God so loved the world that he, what did he do? He gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. There's this whole idea that God's calling and God's plan 
are more fantastic and better than the current plan that we have. You say, well, people are messy. Listen, let me just tell you something. Jesus and his disciples followed after him. His disciples followed after him, and they believed in this glorious mess called the, the kingdom of God and the work in that kingdom. And it was worth the risk of death, and they were willing to get involved, risking it all for the sake of a lost world. That was the idea. And God is constantly, when he's calling his people, he's calling people to come out, to get away, and, and, and don't just stay comfortable, but come with me, and I'm going to show you something wonderful and a, a more precious life. I found that, you know, I'm a, I'm a fly fisherman. It's really hard to catch those flies on these little bitty hooks, but it can be done. But a lot of practice. But sometimes you have to hike to get to the good spots. You know, it'd be great if every great spot was you just pulled over beside the road. You just sort of set your line outside the window of your car and fish just jumped in. That would be... Uh, terrible. Uh, it's, there's nothing like going on a hike, digging through bushes, and finally getting to that perfect little spot and spotting a, a native fish that can't see you, and you actually land them. But it took you an hour and a half to get there. You see, there is something about sacrifice and reward. And you say, well, people are messy. I don't want to go through all the hard work. I, I come to church because I need to be fed. I need to be taken care of. Okay, good. Everybody needs to be taken care of from time to time. Everybody needs to be, uh, to be ministered to. But the reason that you're ministered to for a moment and for uh, a brief while is so that you can continue back on the trail for the prize, which is never easy, but that's what we're called to live in. We're not called, listen, I know guys, I know myself. It would be great if, if I felt totally satisfied sitting on the couch with a bag of chips, no, excuse me, two bags of chips, two liter deal of soda, and I'm like, I'm totally fulfilled right now. Maybe for an hour and a half, but then you have to get up and go get more chips. There's, it's this constant struggle in life. But that doesn't really satisfy, does it? It's the bigger things that we're called to. People are messy. It's going to take a great deal of my personal time. I'm going to have to devote to the kingdom and to God's work. But what's the alternative? She just found out that all of her people are going to be killed. Imagine that. If you take scripture literally, you'll, you'll see that Following Jesus is a life and death matter as far as eternity is concerned. If it was just some religious choice, who cares, right? That's why people who don't understand your relationship with God, who don't understand your relationship with Jesus, would go, what's the big deal? It's just a religion. You've got your book. You've got your incense. You know, you have your cross or whatever it may be. Just leave other people alone. It's sort of like your choice in clothing, which today, by the way, I have gotten a lot of comments, uh, very few of which were very complimentary. 
someone asked if I had a rake or if I'd been cleaning up on the highway. Um, that's a choice I made myself. However, the big issue with us, do we believe in what we really believe in, or is it just a religious experience? Because that was what it came down to in the palace. That was what it came down to with Esther and Mordecai. Listen, this is what Mordecai told her. He said, listen, do you think that this isn't going to affect you just because you're the queen? Oh, no. The king's edicts are untouchable. You cannot remove them. This means that your life is just as much in danger as everyone else. So you may be thinking, okay, well, I've, I've got my salvation. I've got my ticket to heaven. I'm set. I'm good. Uh-uh. Listen, unless you understand that you and I are a part of something else, a part of something bigger and greater, we are being deluded. Listen, here's the truth of the matter. Either we influence and change the world around us, or the world influences us and changes us. Staying neutral, okay, as a believer, is not an option, it is a delusion. Staying neutral as a believer is not an option, it is a delusion. It's a delusion. Jesus didn't go to the cross so that you could just be comfortable. How are you feeling today? Well, you know, to, to be honest with you, um, you know, I've created other people for really great things, but you, just the mediocre stuff. I really don't have any aspirations for you. Wouldn't that be sad if you heard that from God? You know, I, I never really expected much out of you anyway. Your parents were right about you. You would end up as nothing. It would be so depressing. But God looks at us and says, no, I, I've got a bigger, better life, but you can't be neutral. You can't be neutral. You've got to be in, and you've got to be in with me. So, <clears throat> now, here's what happens. All of this takes place within the context of the palace, within the context of the kingdom. And so he tells her, listen, you're not going to get out of this. You can't be neutral. But then he goes on to say this. He said, listen, if you remain silent for a time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. It's a good principle here. If you won't do what God has called you to do, God will find somebody else. You will be passed over and you will be, you'll miss out on the blessing, period. And you're like, well, that's okay. I've missed out on a lot of blessings in my life. I'm used to it. Don't get used to it. But he said, you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, okay, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. We've talked about that a lot. You've heard that all through your life. Maybe you've been brought 
into this place and to this time. For such a time as this, God's brought you into this situation. Now, most of us like to think of like, you know, I, this is how I made it. I became famous. I became very wealthy. It was, I was in the right place at the right time, and, and it just worked out. But in God's economy, it's, okay, here's a rough time. Things are not going so well. And I have placed you strategically in this position for such a time as this. God reveals those positions most often in times of trial. So, we can talk about COVID. We can talk about economic disruptions which they're beginning and more to come. We can talk about all of the variances and every type of disruption imaginable that is here and coming. Do you guys feel it or is it just me? Do you guys feel, like, feel great about the future? Oh, it's best. I've just invested in so much things. I know it's all gonna work out. It's so good. Economy's so strong. People are getting along so well. I just love politics. It just brings people together. You know, politics does that. It brings people together who normally wouldn't hang out together to hate the, this group of people. <laughs> We're in agreement. We're in unity. We all hate that group of people over there. And it seems like it's getting worse. It is. So what does that mean for you and I? Well, who knows? Perhaps God has brought you to this place for such a very time as this. Your faith in Christ, your love for the Lord, the mission that he's given you to care for other people, maybe all of that comes into play now when it is needed the most. You see, that, that's the big issue. Will we see that? Or will we shrink away and continue to ask God, God, why are you letting this happen? Why are you letting this happen? God may be letting something like this happen so that the real good things make it to the top, right? Everybody was going about their business. Everything was fine. And then all of a sudden you get in the mail, you're going to die and we're going to kill you. What changes at that point? Everything that's really important, that has always been important, becomes clear at that moment. It's a moment of clarity. What's important? Your friends, your family, human beings. That's what's really at, at the core of it. And when God brings us to the point where we say, you're right, my neighbors, my friends, my family, that's what's important. Them knowing the gospel, knowing the truth. Me sharing, committing my life to that work. That's what matters most. And that's the way it should be. So what happens? She said, look, tell everybody, go tell all the, the Jewish folk throughout the land that to fast for three days and three nights. Fast and pray and pray for me. I'm going to pray. My, my staff's going to pray with me. And um, after we've done that, I'm going to go in before the king, unannounced, uninvited, and I may die. And she says, if I perish, I perish. P 
period. She knew that turning to God in, in a very clear, uh, intentional manner would mean that she would have the strength to do what was necessary. How many of you really feel brave every day? I don't. And I know a lot of reasons not to be brave. If I, if I wasn't such a coward, I would be so much braver. But we need to be brave. Well, how do we get there if we're not there? Well, there's an old tried and true method, and that is fasting and prayer. What does fasting do? Well, you know, there's a lot of going, and there's a lot of talk today about intermittent fasting, right? Any of you guys do that? I'm really good at it. I've I gained weight at it. I don't know why, but I fast between every meal and snack all day long. It's like continuously, intermittently, but it, it never works. Uh, probably my timing's off, portion control, whatever it may be. But fasting, for religious reasons, for God reasons, is to take you out of your common routine. It's to break that routine so that you're not thinking about everything around you, what's going inside of you and around you. You're now focused more upon God, and you're listening to God and what God has to say. And God can speak those words through the power of the Spirit that can make you a very courageous person. Prayer can do that as well. Prayer allows us to look at someone and see their need and say, I see you, I, I, I hear you. I'm praying for you. We're taking this to God. And, and when things are good, let's just be honest. Prayer is like, oh, I'm praying for you. You know, I'm sorry that that happened to your brand new luxury car. I'll pray that you get over that soon. And I'll pray for your insurance uh, <laughs> adjuster. I don't know. But when you get the call and, and something, someone's in the hospital and they're near death, Prayer all of a sudden changes, doesn't it? Oh, God, this is that kind of prayer. Listen, my friends, if you think you and I are going to get out of this whole thing that's going on around us without prayer and focusing on God, you're crazy. You're not going to be brave. You're not going to be fit for the task. I'm not going to be fit for the task. This is not something to say, well, you know, you should be fasting, you should be praying. No. We have to fast and pray and get prepared to be brave in the midst of a time of trial. Because who knows that God hasn't raised us up for this moment. Right? And amen right here. Kids know the truth. So, what happens? <clears throat> they go for it. And we're going to tell more about the story next week. But look at it, where this church is located. We're on Paseo. Now, for some reason, the early leaders, elders, the founders of this church thought that this would be a great place to meet. I mean, but why? Paseo's noisy. People 
traffic going back and forth. There are houses everywhere. I mean, why would you build a sanctuary in a noisy place like this? Wouldn't it be better to build miles outside of town, sort of a sanctuary where we could go and pray and we didn't have to hear the world and we wouldn't have to have the influences of the world? No. They thought, let's build it smack dab right here in the middle of everything. Why? Because convenience and comfort are found away from the action. But God places his people right in the middle of the action. Because that's where he wants us to be. And that's the good stuff. That's the good stuff, my friends. That's the great stuff where you find yourself doing things that you couldn't do before. When you find yourself being brave. How many of you in your daydreams are, are super brave? I am. I'm always the guy like, you know, the captain comes on. Well, our co-pilot has just died. And I feel that I'm about to have a stroke right now. We need someone to fly the plane. And in my daydreams, it's always like, <clears throat> excuse me, steward, stewardess, I think I can do it. Have you ever flown a plane before? No, but I'm a quick learner. And then I go to the co cockpit, and you get in the plane, and you, mm, you know, you make it down, and you're a kind of a hero, and you just go, eh, you know, I just knew it inside. That, but, but if, if I heard that in a plane, I would be terrified. There are so many reasons for me not to fly in a plane now. Those planes have cooties. I don't know if you know that. Now they have COVID cooties. But here's, here's my point, and it's what I'm getting to. If you and I want to ride this thing out with ease and comfort, you're on the wrong boat. You're on the wrong plane. This is not that trip. This is not that, you know, this is not the love boat. And I'm thank goodness for that. There was a lot of shenanigans that went on in the love boat. But it's, it's a trip that God has designed for his people that build us up into something better and it brings glory and honor to him. And it does actually make a difference in someone else's life. Most of all of you here can point to another person who God brought to you during a time of trouble that blessed you. And you never forgot it. And you remember that. And it, it spurs you on to reach out to other people who needed someone to pray, someone to stand for them and fast for them. They needed it. You see, living this life is not neutral. But living this life is exciting. If your life's not exciting, stick around. Fast for a couple of days. Read your scripture. Pray and ask God what he wants of you. And things will heat up pretty quick, my friends. As they should be. Oh, I just turned that off with my mind. So anything else you guys want me to do, I can do.
Folks, love you. Glad you're here. But let's start calling people into his kingdom. Let's find folks who are lethargic and have walked away from the faith or just sort of slid away and remind them that this is not the time. This is the time to be active more than ever. Father, thank you for our time here together. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, Lord, that there would be realize in their heart that they can just call out to you and ask for forgiveness and be forgiven and be brought into your kingdom. And Lord, I pray for the rest of us that we, Lord, would be awake and ready to do your will, to follow you, to be a part of your plan, your solution for this world. And Lord, we know it's only possible through you, by you, and for you. So Lord, we commit ourselves to you and to your kingdom for your work, for this time, for such a time as this. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand? If you, if you need to pray with somebody, you need to, if you haven't ever surrendered your heart to Jesus, I'd love to meet you after the service, pray for you, and make sure that you get on the right trip. All right, let's sing together. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.